Before we look into God's word, let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, it is good to be in this your house this morning hour. It is good to be around the reading of your word. And Lord, we're thankful for the technology, the technology that allows those that couldn't be here physically with us to still be with us in spirit and to participate. We tend to look at all the negative sides of what has gone on in the last few years, but there are certainly some positive sides, and this is one of them. We've learned to adapt, and while it's not the same as being here, it certainly is a blessing to be part of what is happening. And we ask that you bless those that are online as well, especially, especially those that are not well, that you would be with them and help them to heal quickly. Lord, we're thankful to know that you are with us each step of the way. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, we trust that you have a message for us. We trust that you have things to teach us. And we ask that you would help us to be still, to know that you are God, and to listen. Lord, as we go through this life, it is so easy to pick up habits and ideas from the world around us. And we're so thankful that we have a standard that we have a foundation that is your word that we can keep looking back to, to keep checking our course, to make sure that we are still where you want us to be. And when we are not, that you can help us to return. What a blessing. What a blessing not to have to understand everything that's going on in the world around us. What a blessing to not have to figure it all out and how it all plays into it. All the different pieces play into everything, Lord we just look in your word and if it says we should do something we should we just need to do it we don't have to spend all this energy trying to understand be with us now as we look into your word teach us we pray we humbly ask in jesus name amen with god's help I'd like us this morning to read several verses out of mark chapter 12. mark chapter 12 beginning at verse number 28. mark 12 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving, and, and perceiving that he answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. I'd like to conclude with verse number 31. Brothers and sisters and friends, it's good to be in your midst, as I said earlier, after a an absence longer than any of us would probably have anticipated. And I appreciate the prayer and how, you know, it doesn't matter time and space. We serve one God. And that together we have responsibility to each other and also to the world around us to be the light that God is asking us to be. 
And this morning, brothers and sisters and friends, I want to share a message that God has laid on, on my heart and my family's heart, and I want to apologize to my family. First of all, they've heard this before and hear me talking about it way too much. But I think it's an applicable lesson that God has been teaching us and that perhaps we can all learn from. And that is the message that is in these verses that we read together this morning, namely that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. The subject I want to talk about might come easier to some than others, depending on our personalities, depending on our, depending on our, our circumstances in life, depending on, to some degree, more or less, our, our physical means and what we have available to us. But I think it's applicable to every one of us. And, and the subject that God has laid on my heart is the idea of hospitality. I want us to think about this this morning, starting in light of God's word. We read together that we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we tend to think of the word hospitality more or less in the context of the dictionary, and I looked it up, and it's a pretty basic statement that says, the friendly and generous reception entertainment of guests, visitors, and strangers. And while that is certainly part of the definition, I think it leaves something to be lacking. It's, there's something lacking in it. And as we look up the, the sort of scriptural use of the word, it's, it's, it's a little deeper than that. It's the, the act of loving strangers, is what I've, as I dug into it a little bit, sort of to try to put it in a bit of a nutshell. The act of loving strangers. So let's put that thought into the back of our minds for a minute and, and ponder that as we look into the scripture and as we, we see what does the Bible say about this? Because if you're here to listen to what Chris has to say about it, you're not gonna get too much value out of this. But as we look at the character of God, and if we look way back into the Old Testament, right back to Genesis, to when God created man, we can see that the, God started with his children. They were his children, so he treated them as such. He taught them, he admonished them, he encouraged them, he rewarded them for obedience. There's lots of verses that talk about how he will reward them if they obey and how there will be punishment if they don't. He loved them. He was patient with them as a father would be to children. <clears throat> as we look at the the Old Testament stories of the children of Israel, this up and down, and I mean, only a father could have patience like God showed to them. And it wasn't all just love. Uh, it was all love. I don't know how to word that. It, it wasn't all just, oh, you're doing such a good job and showering good things on them. There was, there was real love there too, that he had admonished them at times, lots of times, and bring them back to where they should be or try to bring them back to where they should be. And then as if we, if, if we follow the, the Bible through to the New Testament, God broadens his focus to not only include his children, the children of Israel, but to include us as Gentiles. He sent his son to be born of a virgin, to, to live a life of a man, to be de treated despicably, to be spat on, to be tried in a mock trial, and ultimately to be crucified for us, only to rise again on the third day. Why did God do this? 
Why did God do this? He did it because he wanted to make a way for us as strangers, family. He, wanted to, he did it because he wanted us as strangers to become friends and ultimately family. He wanted to bring us into the fold. He wanted his children as part of that fold and the stranger. And as we look through the Bible, this is the character of God. This is the character of God to bring in the lost, to bring in those that were straying. Right back to uh, Genesis, when Abraham, when the, when the, the strangers showed up, and in, verse, in chapter 18, we read, And he, Abraham, lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray thee, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. And for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do, as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened to the tent and unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man, and he hasted to dress it. Abraham was not expecting guests. He was unprepared. But boy, in a hurry, he changed that. He did what he could. He got everybody into, a, into action to treat these men as one of his own, as to treat them as friends. Hebrews refers to this in Hebrews 13.2. It says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So many times we don't know who God puts into our path. And we're, I don't know, unless, unless you're different than I am, but I'm usually not expecting it. I'm not looking for it. It's usually not when I'm kneeling by my bed praying that God says, go and do this. It's usually, it seems, at the most in, inopportune time. And the question is, are we willing and ready to be used of God, even though we weren't expecting it, even though it didn't fit into my neat little plan that I have going? I don't know about you, but I'm a planner. I have most things planned out, and there's nothing more frustrating when all those plans quickly evaporate. In Leviticus 19, God has a, there's a big long list of do's and don'ts and just things they should and shouldn't do. And in there, in Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34, it says, And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, you shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you, <clears throat> excuse me, but the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Even going back, it mentions Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt so that they could be with him. And here it was, he was commanding them that if there's people among them, not to not only abuse them or, or take advantage of them, maybe is the better way to put it, but to be spent for them, to give them, to treat them kindly, to treat them as one of their own. 
And if we look closer at the New Testament, as I stated earlier, the whole point of Jesus' coming was to bring us, to bring others, the Gentiles, into this family of God. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8 says, For when you were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while ye were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The whole point of Christ coming to this earth was to love us, to bring strangers into the family of God. We did not deserve to be invited in. There was no merit on our part whatsoever. It was all about his love and trying to make us a stranger's friends and friends' family. Let's think about Jesus when he walked on this earth in so many ways. He practiced what we could, maybe a bit loosely, but put under the umbrella of, um, of hospitality. So many of the interactions that we read about in the Bible, yes, some of them happened in the temple, but the vast majority of them happened in people's homes and in their personal spaces. Think about the, the sick man that was lowered through the roof to be healed. He was in a home teaching and preaching and used that time to heal the man uh, that, they, that his friends lowered through the roof. When we think about Jesus when he called Levi, Matthew, what did Levi do? He says he made a great feast for his own family, yes, but much more, much bigger than that. Luke 5, 29, and Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. Levi took this opportunity to, to invite people in, to have a chance to interact, to meet, to touch, to hear the master. After Jesus called Zacchaeus, we think of the little kid's song, you know, after he came down from the tree, what did he do? He went to his house. When Peter, Peter's mother-in-law was sick, what did Jesus do? He went to their house and he healed her. We know that Jesus was at Mary and Martha's house for, to teach them. Well, there was a meal too, and we know that that's where we see some of this tension between some of the things that ought to happen in these interactions, even in our own homes. It's sometimes a little bit messy, a little bit hard to balance these two out, but he was in their home. He invited them, he invited him into their personal space. And there's so many more examples <coughs> that we can read about where we can see that Jesus used the intimate space, the personal space of people to do, maybe it's a generalization, I'm going to say, but the vast majority of his work. There was times in the temple, but so much of it happened away from that in daily interactions, whether they were you know, getting corn out of the field, he taught them a lesson. It was in everyday experiences that the, that the hard lessons were taught. I think as parents, we can all relate to this. The time that we're gonna have an influence, or if we think back, let me, let me word it this way, if we think back to the, the sort of the, uh, the critical moments in our childhood and, and the lessons that we learned, I would venture to say that most of them 
were events that if we asked our parents about, they probably wouldn't necessarily remember. They were everyday events that, that made an impact, that we saw their faith in action. Maybe there was some where they sat down with the word open and explained to us, but for me at least, maybe I'm more of a practical kind of person, it was in the day-to-day experiences of our parents. Just yesterday, I was, at, I was at my dad's house with my boys helping a little bit, and I don't know, I, I, I think I accused, if that's the right word, Isaac, of losing one of my tools, or we were kind of poking at it, and I said, I would have never done that as a kid, and started kidding a little bit, and my dad kind of smiles at me, and that brought back a memory that I shared with Isaac. I said, Isaac, I remember a time where uh, I think it was a crowbar of all things, it doesn't really matter, but that was lost on the farm. And my dad was convinced one of us boys had lost it, and not unjustifiably, I'm sure many, many of his tools disappeared. And, and, and for several months, you know, whenever the opportunity came or he needed that tool, it was, boys, if you only hadn't lost that. And then a few months later, he was in the barn in the back corner somewhere, and he found the crowbar. And I remember him coming to us with that crowbar and saying, boys, I owe you an apology. I had the crowbar in that corner. I left it there, it wasn't you. That left an impression on me that, you know, that's 40 years ago. You know, the idea of being humble enough to admit when we've done wrong, all these lessons, why am I going down this rabbit hole? All these lessons are taught, we can, it's not textbook knowledge. We can tell our kids to be honest. We can tell our friends that we are honest. We can tell them we're humble, but unless once in a while in real life happens, we can have to come back to them and say, I was wrong. That's when the impact will be made in in each other and in those around us. After Jesus ascended to heaven, this idea of interaction in personal spaces did not end. The apostles carried it on. There's one that I would like to highlight that impacts us very directly. And that is when God told Peter that it was time to take the word to the Gentiles. What happened? Let's remember the story. He was told to go to the centurion's house and to Simon's house, and he, you know, everything about this broke the mold. Everything about this just said, no, this is not a a Jew to enter into a Gentile's house to go there to eat, not even to eat, but he actually stayed a couple of days, and then they came back with them. Everything about this, this absolute paradigm shift in the history of mankind and for us didn't happen in a temple, didn't happen with a bunch of elders sitting around a room. It happened in homes where God was using people. And I'm going to say ordinary people. I feel a little awkward saying Peter was just an ordinary person because of who he was, but he was very ordinary, just chosen by God for this specific task. Peter went, he did as he said. You know, if, I, if I were to map this out, and if we were to sit down and plan an event like this, there's going to be this huge shift in thinking that Gentiles are now have access to Jesus. Uh, we probably wouldn't think it would happen the way it did. We would organize you know, one of the bigger churches with lots of room, with lots of people to come. God didn't do that in the temple. It happened in homes. It happened in homes. And one more area of hospitality that I'd like to bring up that I think is also important 
is that in Titus or Timothy, both when, when the Apostle Paul talks about the qualifications of an elder, this idea of hospitality is mentioned as well. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 3, one of the examples where he talks about it, he says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetousness, not covetous. In all these very fundamental um, requirements, prerequisites, I don't know what the right word is, there's this one little line given to hospitality. Why? Because it's that important, I really believe. And by extension, we are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are all ministers of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. So we can see clearly, and there's, I just picked a few examples in the Bible, that, that talk about this idea of treating strangers like friends to make them family. This is what Jesus came to this earth for. It's, it's totally consistent and in line with the character of God right, for, right back from the beginning of time in the book of Genesis with Abraham. So we've established this is certainly, and maybe it's not a big surprise, but I just feel we need to establish that this is in Scripture, that this is something we should do. But like so much of, of my life, and perhaps yours as well, when I recognize there's something I should do, sometimes the, the what is pretty easy. Fine, I should be hospitable, I should have people over, I should interact with people. For somebody like me, this is really strange, standing here at a pulpit. I, I'm, I'm an introvert. For me to talk to people I don't know is incredibly difficult. You know, emails and texts is the best thing that ever came up with because I don't have to actually talk to people. I can send them a message. I know that's ridiculous, but that's what I naturally do. So it's hard for me to have people in our home that I don't know. I mean, I stress about it during that day. What are we going to talk about? Yes, no answers, you know. It doesn't come naturally at all. But I think that's exactly what God wants us to do is be the real person you are. It's okay if it's not a smooth, polished uh, presentation. Just be real and be us. But it's easier to do the what it's not that hard to, 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 do, to execute this. But as so much with the New Testament, what really matters more than the what is the why. Why do we do this? When I have somebody in our, we have somebody in our home, why is it that we have it? And unless you're different than me, Satan very quickly wants to hijack that. You know, if we can, if we can, if he can convince us to, to actually do what God is asking us to do, then he, the next step is he tries to skew the motivation so that we do it for the wrong reasons. There are real challenges that Satan then will throw up in our face. Some are more legit than others, but God is bigger. I want to spend a few minutes talking about why we either don't practice hospitality or perhaps why we do but with the wrong motivation because I think that's critical 
to this whole thing. So it's critical to everything in life, the why, like I said. I think we've all, we've all uh, you know, when we think about having people in our home, and it doesn't have to be just in our home. It could be, you know, that's not what you have available. Maybe it's just meeting somebody somewhere for a coffee, for a meal, different times of life. This will look very, very different to people. Um, but we can all relate to this idea that I, I'm busy. Um, you know, uh, I don't feel like it. If, if you're not an extrovert, and you, I, mean, I my, my brother and I kind of kid with each other. He's totally the opposite of me, that he just loves to meet new people, and there's just so much richness in meeting people. And I'm like, I'm 48 years old. I've met enough people in my life. And he's like, oh, man, he just can't understand that. But we're different people. But so we can relate to that I'm tired. It's just not natural. I don't feel like it. It's been a busy week. I'm an introvert. It's, uh, it's expensive. There's lots of things that Satan puts in our minds that some of them are more legit than others. It's not to say none of those are not valid uh, reasons, if I can use that term. But God is bigger. God is so much bigger. The Bible tells us I can do all things through Christ. That strengthens me. Even talk to people I don't know. Even talk to people I don't know. The Bible is full of examples of where God asked people to do things that were outside of their comfort zone, were outside of what they thought they were good at. Trust me, I said to Brother Phil and Eric in, in the minister's meeting here, this is the strangest thing, the three of us sitting in this room. I still see us as teenagers bopping around, visiting places, and probably getting into, well, I don't think we we're real super bad kids, but still, it's just, it's just not where your mind would think God would have taken you. And, and that's probably better. It's probably better our minds didn't think we'd go there. But God is big enough to use anybody that's willing, anybody. As we look at the Old Testament, there's lots of times that God asked people to do things they were not comfortable. One that comes to my mind is Esther. When you think about the task that was put in front of her, you can't blame her for being scared. You can't blame her for saying, not me. You can't blame her for, you know, hey, her life was pretty, pretty cushy and, and nice. Most of us want to protect that. We are all in that position pretty much, I would say. Life is very comfortable in the big scheme of things. But God is able. God is able and was able to help her to face the threat of execution by approaching the king without being called. That's not because she felt like it. It's not like that she didn't understand the potential cost, but she was willing to pay the cost. When God asks us to do, he will also provide the means. You know, there's lots of other, there's other reasons that we can, sort of the more the physical end of it, you know, not all of us have homes that are maybe conducive. Maybe we have a family and it's a mess. <laughs> maybe our place isn't that big. Um, that's very real. We had that discussion in, in the van on the way here, you know, have a bunch of people over. What if it rains? We can't fit in the house. You know what? It's not about the place. It's about the people. It's about the fellowship. It's about drawing closer to each other. It's about drawing closer to God. God forbid if we practice hospitality to show others what we have or to show them how put together our life is. God forbid if we can only have them over when everything is perfect. 
God forbid we can only have people over when we have a special big meal planned, especially from our sort of European background. I mean, that's one of the great things about our culture is the, the amazing food that we can enjoy. And that's wonderful and a blessing. And I thank God daily for the gifts that God has given to some, not me, to make this amazing food that we get to enjoy. But God forbid that that's the only time we can share with others is when we have this out of the normal meal. Are we able to have them when it's just an everyday meal? Are we able? When we think about all these reasons that it's easy not to practice hospitality, they are all, like I said, already real and practical, and there's, there's merit behind some of these. But as Satan so much of the time does, he only shows us one side of the coin. That is one side of the coin. There is a price to pay. It is difficult at times. There are perhaps awkward moments. But what about the other side of the coin? What about the other side of the coin? We do things because they're right, because it's important, because God commanded us to. We do them because people matter. We do them because the eternal destination of people is worth some discomfort, is worth some energy and effort, is worth even some money. It's worth it. Maybe we do it because we really enjoy sharing the bounty and plenty that God has given us in this land. Some more, some less. But you don't have to look too far to realize that we are incredibly blessed when it comes to physical things. What a blessing to be able to share that with others. What a blessing. And unless your experience is different than mine, you know, all those thoughts come into my mind when it, we're looking towards doing something like this. But I can't really remember ever regretting it after the fact. It's like, wasn't that nice? Didn't we have a nice time? Didn't we get to know those people better? It's Satan that's trying to stop us. And there's lots of other physical things we could talk about, but I think we would miss something if we stopped there. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Satan wants us to be afraid. He wants us to think, I can't, it's too hard. It'll cost too much, whatever. He wants us to boast, to be proud. Look what I have, look what I can do. Look how clean my house is. I mean, unless your place is different than mine, it's not always spotless. We're a family. We live there. People come in and come in. We live on a farm, come in with stuff on their boots. And it's life. Not everybody puts stuff back where they got it. Confession time. Maybe your place is different. But if we focus on this, we're missing the mark. If we focus on these external things, God forbid, we're missing the mark. Biblical hospitality is not about impressing others. It's not about making me feel good or patting myself or ourself on the back. Biblical hospitality is not entertaining. There is a difference. And there is absolutely a time where we just get together and we have fun and we enjoy. Families get together, the kids build relationships. And even as adults, we need to build relationships and enjoy being together. And that's not always you know, spiritual activities. Sometimes that's just enjoying the human experience of being together. That is a blessing. 
But biblical hospitality is not entertaining. I came across a quote that I think summed it up perfectly that I like to read. Entertaining says, I want to impress you with my home, my clever decorating, my cooking. Hospitality, seeking to minister, says, this home is a gift from my master. Use it as he desires. Hospitality aims to serve. Entertaining puts things before people. As soon as I get the house finished, the living room decorated, my house cleaning done, then I will start inviting people. Hospitality puts people first. No furniture, we'll eat on the floor. The decorating may never get done, you can come anyway. The house is a mess, but you are friends. Come home with us. Entertaining subtly declares, this home is mine, an expression of my personality. Look, please, and admire. Hospitality whispers, what's mine is yours. Hospitality is more than inviting someone to the dinner. It involves opening up, welcoming, accepting, giving, sharing, loving, advocating, and sacrifice. Let's not be ignorant of Satan's devices. Let's not let all these physical things stop us from deepening the relationships that we have both one with another and with those that God places in our lives that don't know him. Let's remember that Satan is trying to stop us from doing it in the first place. And if we can overcome with God's help, then he'll try to get us to do it for the wrong reasons. Let's tell him in the name of Jesus to get thee behind us. To get thee behind us. Let's use the opportunities we have to, to draw people in, to share, to build relationships, to understand, to encourage, sometimes to admonish. Maybe in the process, we'll get to know each other well enough that we can be real with each other, that we can say it like it is, and it will be taken and presented and taken in a way of love, in a way of love. Let's be candid with each other. Don't let him win. Satan wants to stop us. He wants us to come just to church, shake hands, and go home into our own separate worlds. That's not what God asks us to do. God wants us to be drawn closer to each other, to draw closer together, to share blessings, to strengthen relationships, that we can enjoy being together, that we can build each other up, and that we can encourage one another. God is good. We, it doesn't matter, it's not about stuff. It's about people, it's about relationships, it's about time. I don't know about you, but for me, one of the most valuable things I have is time. I'd rather give somebody $50 than two hours of my time, any day. Time, there's so much of it. Money, yeah, I mean, we never have enough anyway, unless you're different than me, but it's not that finite. There are 24 hours in a day, and every minute of that gets used up. How we use it, we have a lot of say over. I want to encourage all of us to think about ways that we can use it to serve others, to build relationships, to draw closer together to each other. We're out of time, and I've been too long-winded. And I, I've tried to establish here the, the, 
the biblical background, I believe it's clear that this is what God, this is how God, maybe is a better way to put it, is using what used his, the people that he directed and is using us today. It is amazing that God chooses to use me and you to be his hands and feet. It is amazing that he trusts us to do that. As we have dinner together, I want to encourage all of us to, to think and try to use the time we have to encourage one another, to build each other up, to look for ways, perhaps it's outside of the box, perhaps it's not your sort of typical have somebody over for a meal, other ways that we can serve God. And this afternoon, with God's help, I never thought I'd, I'd uh, I never thought I'd, I'd volunteer to have both sermons, but I'd like to conclude this subject this afternoon. We'll read Romans 12 together and see how practically we can apply some of those verses that are in his word. But in the meantime, even, I, I, it's one thing I love about the smaller churches. We have lunch together. We do in Ancaster as well. The challenge is use that time to get past the weather. Use that time to get past our jobs and to dig deep and to build those relationships. Amen. I don't think it's any secret um, why we've heard this particular word this morning when we think about the last couple years and maybe what a hit our uh, hospitality and our, our um, connection with each other has taken over this time. Um, I'm sure Satan has made inroads and Satan wants to kind of make a, a new normal post-pandemic where we just limit our interaction, our fellowship to within these walls and that's it and, and go our ways and it becomes more like a, I don't know, work or something like that where you just show up and then you leave. And uh, if that were to happen, that would be a tragedy. That would be terrible. I think the, the Holy Spirit is prompting us this morning hour to look and, and see deeply where have the walls fallen down, where have things broken down, and, and uh, where do we need to build up through God's power, through the motivation of his Holy Spirit to, to, to rebuild Zion. In the process, it will not be easy. I was just struck as we were reading that passage about Abraham and his hospitality. I never realized before, you know, there was a few little things there that he could have easily taken offense at. Right off the bat, he, run, he ran and um, just such a gracious invitation to these three strangers, as we heard, just uh, out of the blue. And if you know something about Middle Eastern culture, there's this, uh, the Persians have this word called taruf, where there's got to be this exchange of pleasantries. You have to kind of decline three times and, 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 oh, no, I insist. No, no, you come. No, please. And that's politeness. That's just natural. These three strangers didn't say that. They said, okay, as you said it, go do it. And I'm sure in that culture at that time, that was probably like the equivalent of a slap in the face. That was a, there was no, oh, no, we couldn't possibly. No, no, I insist. There was none of that exchange. It was just simply, as you said, go do. Knowing any of the Middle Easterners as I do and the way they extend hospitality, I'm sure that was if Abraham had had a certain amount of pride, had had a certain amount of, I can't believe, maybe there would have been a cooling off. Maybe there would have been, a, okay, we won't hurry so much. 
Abraham didn't take that at, at all. His hospitality was genuine, his humility was sure, and he proceeded. And as we heard, you know, Satan wants to present one side, this difficulty, who are these three strangers, what and how are they receiving me? The, the other side, God's side, was the reassurance, the promise, his presence himself that would be exposed through these three strangers. And I think that is what God wants to show us. Through the difficulties, the challenges, the inconveniences of increasing our hospitality, not only towards each other, but to the stranger, he will show the flip side of that, the blessing the, the, uh, that he wants to bestow on us. And that's God's vision. That's has been his vision through Christ, as we've heard. Maybe this afternoon we'll, we'll touch on the other scripture that came to mind, how in Romans 15 he says how we are to receive one another. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us, welcomed us to the glory of God. And in so doing, as we receive, as we welcome each other, God will be glorified. That's my hope and my prayer. Um, as we conclude this morning's service, I neglected to mention greetings from Brother Craig and Sister Dorothy also. They're not feeling well.